what you expect. Let's get on a roll. Hey. It's about time for some quality control. What is happening? What is going on? You are now tuned into the Quality Control Podcast. Quality people having quality conversations, influencing quality results. Today is a topic that we're going to discuss. I really been wanting to deal with for a long time. We want to make the comparison between mental toughness and mental health. And the reason being is I think mental toughness can sometimes lead to mental illness if done too much. And I also think in some cases, mental health is used as a cop-out for not having somewhat mental resilience or mental toughness. So we're going to deal with that now. Instead of me going into this, trying to give my opinions with no education, no background in it, I invited an expert. And this expert goes by the name of Miss Jessica Reed. Miss Jessica Reed is a nationally board certified counselor, licensed professional counselor, mental health care provider, and prepare and enrich facilitator for premarital, marital, and divorce couples. So if I were going to get anybody else as an expert on the subject, she would be the person. So welcome, Miss Jessica Reed, to the podcast. Miss Jessica, please give us your story, how you got into the profession, your get-it-out-the-mud story, and let us know about you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So hello, all the listeners. I'm Jessica. Um, I am the owner and lead therapist here at Reed County Consulting Services, where we provide psychotherapy to um, individuals, but we also work with helping professionals. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about who I am professionally and personally. So I think for a lot of therapists, you we tend to get into therapy for either people that need to be in therapy or our own work. And we, all of us will always be doing our own work. Like that's just a part of, I think, the human experience. And so um, dealing with, I think, a lot of normalized yet it really impactful things like parents divorcing, father being incarcerated, older sibling and kind of doing the parental um, sibling relationships there prompted me to want to offer a space where children that look like me and people that look like me could talk through things because I didn't have that space. I went to a private school where a lot of my Caucasian counterparts, it was very normal for them to go to therapy if their dog died, if their parents were having trouble. And in my family, it wasn't talked about. So I was like, I think I want to create a space where people that look like me know that they can do these same things. And I got into therapy and was really surprised that a lot of it was me doing a lot of my own work first. And I, that's one thing that I would even hang my head on, that if you are working with a mental health professional, know that they should be doing their own work because we're not perfect. Um, I do believe we have gifts that um, can help heal and facilitate change and movement in other people's lives. But we are also human first. And so recognizing that, I think, is one of the most humbling experiences that have, have kept me in business and keep me with waiting lists for two and three months at a time. So I'm really thankful for my transparency and me doing my own work to help other people see that they can do the same thing. Um, so that's my out-the-mud story. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned something very important, um, normalization. And you mentioned how you went to private school and your Caucasian counterparts actually, you know, made therapy normal. It's something that they actually did. And I can appreciate you trying to bring that space over to our people because it's very much necessary. That's why I want to have this conversation because we're running ourselves crazy. Um, I don't know if you saw the social media post. Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff 
is posting on social media about the guy who had the breakdown. He did the live session with the kids in the car, and he actually killed the kids and mm-hmm. killed himself. You know, and that's 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 sad, and it's, it is it's mental. It's mental because there's no understanding. There's nobody to facilitate a path to understanding in our community. And I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing because it's very impactful. And you you may not know what lives you may save, you know, but at the same time, if it's one, it's a life's worth of work. So I will appreciate you and just thank you again for taking the time to be on because this is a very important subject. So now let's dive into it. So let's take the time and I guess ask the real question let's define what mental toughness is. I can kind of give you a snippet of what Wikipedia might say, but I would like to hear from you as a professional. So mental toughness is a measure of individual resilience and confidence that may predict success in a sport, in education, or in the workplace. So from Wikipedia to Jessica Reed Counseling, break down that, is it true, is it not? What can we say and define mental toughness as to our audience? Gotcha. So when I thought about this question, I thought about it in a lot of different ways. One, our mind is our most powerful tool, right? And I think the idea of mental toughness can be something that um, we see as a strength, but in our culture also a growth area, because the belief that we can endure anything can be can be hopeful, but sometimes it can also be very harmful, right? And so when I think about mental toughness, I think about mental health and psychological fortitude. So this is your ability to see problems and solutions at the same time, right? Um, It's the ability to experience a free range, a full range of emotions and not just one or two. Um, These are things that help us stay motivated, hopeful, um, to support ourselves through unexpected challenges or changes. And sometimes that support looks like having other people come in and support us. So when you think about resilience, it's the ability to endure, but to be mentally, quote unquote, tough, so to speak, you have to have tools, routines, practices in place that strengthen that. Your brain is actually a muscle, right? So if we think about going to the Wikipedia definition of the gym, it's something you should strengthen and work at consistently if you want to create that resilience to be able to keep going. And every single person will have a moment in their life where they don't feel mentally tough. That doesn't mean that you're weak or any of the stereotypes that might come from that. But it does mean you might need to check in on your your mental health, your psychological fortitude, which is your ability to be able to manage stressors and challenges and do that in a comfortable way. And comfortable doesn't always mean easy. It means you have the hope and the tools to kind of make that next step. So let me ask you this when it comes to generations that are behind us i'm 35 i'll be 36 next month and with that being said can you see it like as a degenerative cycle are you finding more people that i guess you can say don't have the resilience let's pick that word out of the definition versus just saying they're not mentally tough because based on the wikipedia definition they linked it to you know competition they linked it to you know at work not just normal day life which honestly life is you competing with yourself almost but at the same time can you see a degenerative cycle as the people you know as generations come forth there's there's less and less resilience because you know historically our people have have had to go through lots of things you got civil rights you got slavery all those things that are brought to this point but can you see us being less resilient based on where we come from just kind of give me your opinion on that 
Yeah, so I wouldn't say less. I would say when you think about the cycle of generational trauma and how it impacts and then even the definition of that, each generation is going to look and cope differently. So if we think about our parents, they didn't have the idea or the space to even consider therapy, right? Um, the parent, their, their parents before them, this was even, the access wasn't even there. And so as we kind of see the, the generational cycles and coping patterns come down generation after generation, we also are going to see the, without you addressing that, the resiliency change. And I've seen this a lot in my older clients. They talk about this generation. They can't handle nothing. Everything takes them out, right? But that's because generations are different. So you might have, like, think about slavery, and then you have, like, the people, the children that grew up in that and the protective factors and barriers that they grew and had to have for that. And they had children, right, who had children, who had children. And now, like, I, I think the most recent one is with the Gen Alphas. They are going to be different because life is very different. The way that we cope is very different. I think the resiliency is there, but it's it's looking through a different lens because our experiences, our generational experiences are through a different lens. You usually see um, a traumatic experience through one generation, the symptoms in the next generation, and the coping in the next generation. So that's three generations of this shared trauma, but it looks different every layer. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes a whole bunch of sense because if, you know, from a biblical standpoint, because I take a lot of principles from, from, from the Bible, you can kind of see that, you know, you have the Israel that's in captivity, you have the Israel that's delivered, then you have the Israel that's made to the promised land. Same concept, you know, so you have, like you said, going through the drama, you know, coping with it in those stages. But it's almost like those the people in the generations going through those stages don't communicate. There's no bridge, you know, and, and, and that's what's necessary. Even with us, you know, at our age, we can bridge the gap between, you know, 20-year-olds and 50-year-olds. We have to have that bridge because if you don't have that bridge, especially between generations, you lose a lot of valuable information. You feel you end up going back into the cycle. That's how history repeats itself because we don't communicate what we've gone through and why we went through it. And even when we do, sometimes it's not heard because it's like, oh, y'all was just old and y'all, you know, y'all did this, that, and the third. That's why that's like that instead of having a real conversation. So I just count that very valuable as you say that as it trickles down through the generations that, you know, sometimes they don't communicate. And it's, it's, it looks different because nobody has explained or translate what they've gone through. So lots of good gems there again I, this is you're helping me out you know so i i really appreciate what's going on right now so now let's bounce over let's take a stab at mental health for mental health encompasses emotion psychological and social well-being and influences cognition perception and behavior it also determines how an individual handles stress interpersonal relationships and decision making so Based on the lingo, we can kind of see how it meshes, but at the same time, let's go into the mental health aspect. What does it look like to be mentally healthy? Gotcha. So much like your body requires a balanced diet to maintain health, your mental health needs attention. Many mental health issues or mental illnesses have a high chance of reoccurring just because there's not proper maintenance. And those proper maintenance can reduce the risk. But when you think about um the ability to look at mental health or see yourself healthy, you're able to 
um, identify your triggers. So a trigger is anything that can bring up a mental health issue. This could be a person, a place, or a thing that makes you have an emotional or physical or mental response to something. Anything in life that has any of those is something that can compromise your mental health. If you get some news and you have a negative thought about it, your mental health just was compromised. You might not see it as that, but without addressing that thought or, or doing something for that, it will continue to grow. And then that's how we get an, um, an unhealthy mental health. If you have an emotional response to that same thing or a physical response, that's a way to know. It doesn't mean that mentally healthy means you don't feel any of those things, but it does mean you're able to manage and cope with those things. So you know your warning signs. You know your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors that indicate that your mental health might be at risk. This might be uh, anxiety symptoms, depression symptoms. You might start to get more irritable. Your eating or sleeping might change. Those things are really good indicators that we need to either be doing something to prevent or deal with a concern or a problem that's coming up in our life. Now, you you mentioned a very nice word, and it's a triggering word, but the word actually was trigger. And I feel, me personally, I sometimes rehearse my triggers, and I don't know how healthy that is. And I mean by rehearsing my triggers, I know what sets me off, so I mentally have reps. So, therefore, when I'm ambushed by that trigger, I have a response system. You know, um, we, we talked about it in the previous episode from last season about emotional control as men. So, we kind of dipped off into the whole Will Smith and Jada thing with Chris Rock. And the, the takeaway from that was he threw a lot away trying to – you know, make that moment correct. He was, obviously he was triggered, but at the same time, if you don't rehearse those triggers, you don't know how you would handle them. And rehearsing the trigger, it's not only how you handle it, it's actually playing out the results. If you play those results out and say, hey, if I do this, if I hit Chris Rock on stage, they probably try to cancel me. You know, just an example. So you using that word, just triggers. Triggers are out there. You know, um, a lot of people don't realize they're triggers. You know, until afterwards, until the damage is done. And that, you know, is not, it is not healthy. You know, so when we talk about mental illness, you have to understand your triggers, almost like alcoholism. You know, people are triggered by, could be triggered by smell of alcohol, could be triggered by anything. But being able to recognize those and cope with those in preparation of, to me, is mentally healthy. Because when you hit those situations, it's almost like the reflex arc in your body. You know, that reflex doesn't travel all the way to your brain. It actually hits the, you know, the whatever that cortex is, and it goes back down, and we respond. So if you rehearsed it so many times, you have the reflex art. You know what your plan is, and you go into it. Now, most of the time, that may work. Sometimes it may not work for people. But if you're rehearsing that and you have that, you know, those reps in your mind, it helps out. So. I can truly appreciate what you just said about that. That's 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 powerful. So yeah, but you also I want to speak to what you just said because that the, the the way that we the term that we use in therapy for that is coping strategies. These are skills that help you manage problems or symptoms when they come up. So that could be communication. It can be relaxation. It could be the gym. But practicing coping strategies regularly so you're prepared to use them when they come up is a really great coping skill. Now, for, for someone who um, experiences high level of anxiety, that might make them anxious because they're trying to get a scenario and they don't know. So you got to know yourself too. But having a plan of how you're going to respond to anything is more preventative than it is Absolutely. failure. 
right? Because even if you get it wrong, at least you know that, wait, that one didn't work for me. So next time I probably need to try something different. There you go. There you go. And and my one of the things I've learned over the past couple of years is preparation negates fear. So if you're afraid of being in such situations, you try to prepare as much as you can. So now I guess the magic question is when it comes to mental health and mental toughness, where do they mesh? Where do you get to a point to where you're exercising mental toughness to where you getting more and more resilient? Life is not beating you down because you understand how to deal with you know such issues versus running yourself into you know mental illness trying to prove to the world that you are mentally tough because i we see a lot of that crossover and even on the flip side you see a lot of people that run into certain challenges and use mental health as oh man this is not what i want to do prime example very controversial i say about a year ago during the olympics you know, when Simone Biles' deal came out, you know, one half was saying, hey, she's protecting her mental. The other half said, hey, man, she copped out because she choked. So where does it work? How does it come together? Yeah. So I think first the person has to know themselves. They have to be really honest about how they're feeling in order and how they're dealing with life. And in order to do that, you got to do a lot of introspection, reflection. And you got to have people in your circle that can be honest with what they're saying in you or how you're feeling. So when you think about that, I would definitely say we survive together. Um, you're not meant to do, go through challenges by yourself. There's always something like if you have people that you care, it's helpful not to hide yourself from them. Um, being honest about how you feel and what you need. So by doing that, you're not pretending that you're okay. You're accepting um, what is, but you also are building when I spoke of like seeing the problems and the solutions together. In order to do that, we have these things called protective factors. These are things that contribute to our mental health and they allow a person to be resilient in the face of challenges. Someone with a lot of protective factors, like strong relationships, healthy coping skills, are going to be better equipped to deal with life obstacles. If you don't have any protective factors or safeguards that help create a buffer between you and life or you and stress, it is more likely that your mental health might decline. And in the name of being tough, you might be overcommitting, saying yes when you want to say no. And your body will let you know that. You're going to either end up resenting the person. Um, you might say yes to an event and you really didn't want to go. You go and you have um, a terrible time or you make it, you know, unenjoyable for other people because in the name of trying to be tough, you, you know, did something you didn't want to do. So uh, a lot of education around how they can be interactive along with some practical ways, I think can help you bridge the two. You want to have a plan for dealing with things to meet your goals, um, to address social support. And these are just things to kind of help you think about how you can bridge the two. Your physical health is a way that you can do that. Having an adequate amount of um, physical activity, your coping skills, which is the ability to manage uncomfortable emotions in a healthy way. You have to be aware of your own emotions and know how they influence your behavior in order to do that. Without that level of awareness in the name of toughness, you might just be declining and you don't know that that's Absolutely. And I, I like how you put that. That was well articulated. So at the end of the day, support system helps, just like you mentioned. And the more support you have, the more people you can lean on. It helps out overall versus you just being on the island because a lot of people suffer on the island. I've seen that. When you have the social support, you're able to talk about your problems. You can ask for practical help, even if it's a ride if your car breaks down. But it also gives you this feeling of love, intimacy, and friendship. And um, I know that for a lot of people, 
asking for help, seeking help is a sign of weakness because we have been taught that we need to do all of this by ourselves. That is not the definition of mental toughness. I need you to know that being tough means that I am hopeful and I feel capable of handling what, what I'm going through. It's not that I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm just pushing myself. And because I got through it, I feel like I was mentally tough. But I, I have nothing to show for it. At the, at the expense of my mental health or my relationships, have I been mentally tough? Then you weren't tough. I'm going to drop this in here, too, because it's very pertinent to what you just said. The question is, why do we operate off rules that don't exist? Who says that you can't have help to get through a problem? Who, who says that? that you know if i needed a therapy to get through a certain time of my life that's weak now who says that if i have an issue and i feel like i'm weak that's an you know a problem who who why mentally do we make these rules up that we have to operate off of because we perceive that the world will accept them well obviously the world don't care i have not figured that out yet so get it off your mind before you become a wreck to get it off your chest. We're going to move on to my favorite part of the episode is get it off your chest. So you've been in this profession for a while. You know, you've been through a lot, seen a lot, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of redundancy, you know, and that's, you know, no slight to anybody. Everybody goes through some of the same things, whether they admit it or not. But from your standpoint, whether it be personal, whether it be from a professional standpoint, tell me something you want to get off your chest from the therapy world. Um, great question. When I thought about this, I had quite a few things that come, come to mind, but I think the one that I want to leave with is when you think about being honest with yourself and you're thinking about getting into therapy, because therapy is trendy right now, right? Everybody wants to be in the therapy lane. They want to be an expert. They want to be a life coach. They want to be an advocate. All of those intentions are really great, right? And sometimes they can be helpful, um, but it's so important that you do your due diligence and you have someone that can support you in the field. Mental health is very crowded right now because it's trending and the idea of getting more and more qualified individuals is going down in my opinion. So um, when I think about that, I think it's really important that to know who can hold space for you. Everybody can't hold space for you. Um, you can have your pastor that you go see and your therapist together. Jesus plus therapy is healing. It's not one or the other. And even kind of tying in the unspoken rules that you talked about. There are a lot of unspoken rules in our families that we learned that no one ever said, but they modeled for us what they didn't do. So we assumed that that's what it was. And a lot of that is stereotypes that keep us um, having barriers to getting what we need. So when you think about seeking support, make sure you are checking people's receipts, checking their credentials. Um, if you have a therapist and you feel like you're not getting what you need, it's okay to end that relationship if it's not working for you and seek out if it's therapy, if it's a stronger support system, if it's a healthy relationship, the things that you need. We only get one life to live, and it's really our responsibility once we get the things that are in the way of that, um, that we work through them to get and live the life that we want to live, because you only get one of those, right? So um, I'm not, no slight to the life coaches. I know they do a lot of great practical and strategic work, but when you actually think about the idea of therapy, it is not all what you see on TV. There's a lot of work and qualified certifications that go into that so a person can professionally support you and everybody deserves that so advocate for yourself but also do your job to make sure 
that you are putting yourself in a space that will challenge you to grow and not feel comfortable. Because like, so every week I put like a different quote in my office and the one I have today or for this week is, whatever makes you uncomfortable is your biggest opportunity for growth. It's so important that we lean into the things that scare us or make us uncomfortable so we can get to a better version of ourselves. And I totally agree because most of the time what makes us uncomfortable is not that big of a deal. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's not because we have this perceived notion in our mind that this is going to do this, then the third, but it comes from understanding. And a lot of our, you know, mental uh, illness comes from misunderstanding, just like you just said. You know, the preconceived notions and the rules about this is how this always been. Nobody's ever challenged that. And for me, what I need to get off my chest is you need to challenge what you've learned or what you've been taught in order to make it, you know, make sure it, it passes the test. Because what we've learned from generations behind sometimes hasn't worked, but we still practice it. So we need to challenge those things. And it's, you know, whether it's growing up in a single parent home, trying to fig figure that out and why it happened and prevent that, you know, crossing out generational curses, just I'm like I'm in the process of doing myself. You know, you need to challenge what you've gone through to extract the information so you can make informed decisions. You can be mentally healthy. You know, you're not crazy. And that's one thing I will say about mental health from a worldly standpoint. There are not a lot of people around you that have the same understanding. And you you could be just, you could be miles away from the next person that carries a similar understanding to you. And it can drive you crazy sometimes. So you need people you can honestly talk to. You don't need a whole bunch of friends because the big, the more friends you have, I feel the less quality you will have from those situations. So make sure if you need to take advantage of therapy, please do so. Miss Jessica, how can they find you? Yes. So you can connect with me on um, all social media platforms, Instagram at Red by Reed. That's R-E-A-D-B-Y-R-E-E-D. -E -E um, I'm also on Twitter and I have a Facebook group called More Self Love that's free that you can get into. And we just kind of intentionally show up for ourselves, unlearn um, patterns that have held us back. Um, and then you can also check out our business page at Read Counseling, um, Read Counseling and Consulting LLC on Facebook. Our website is readcounseling.com. Um, and you can also call us at 901-610-1720. Awesome, awesome. Guys, let's normalize therapy. Please do. Normalize it simply because it's there to help. And it's really ain't a cheat code. Cheat Cheating insinuates that it's a rule that you're bending. No, it's not really a cheat code. It's out there for you. And it, it always has been. And if you don't utilize it, please don't live a life and at the end you have to regret and say, hey, I should have got some help. And I will leave you on that. Eliminate tomorrow's regrets today. If you need it, go get it. If you want to do it, try it. Set yourself mentally free because mental incarceration is painful. This is Jessica Reed, Super Real Grande. This is it. Go get the help you need. This is the Quality Control Podcast. Inspect what you expect. Let's get on a roll. It's about time for some quality control.